Welcome to One Weird Trick, a podcast giving advice for better living. Your hosts, Aaron and Cecily, have zero legal, medical, or psychological qualifications to give advice. Please consider any advice you receive from them as being from well-meaning, but human and imperfect friends. Please consult actual professionals for any serious legal, medical, or mental help you may need. And now, here's Cecily and Aaron. This week, we've got kind of a battle of the sexes thing going on. Uh, Aaron, why don't you start us off with your topic? Yeah, I want to talk about um, something I've seen go around a lot, and it's kind of come back into the cultural consciousness because of Eminem dropping a surprise album on us last week, and he had a diss track about Cardi B. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, um, there was about a year, maybe two ago, an old Instagram video that surfaced that had Cardi B talking about... Uh, and if you don't know who Cardi B is, Cardi B is a female rapper. Yeah. So this happened in March of 2019 about a video that had premiered in 2016, an Instagram live video. Oh shit. She's got the, she's got the receipts y'all. I got receipts. Uh, so this Cardi B is a female rapper. Um, and she talks about a lot of things that female rappers do having money and Louis Vuittons and, uh, it's, red bottom shoes same thing as louboutins <laughs> yep and stripping and manipulating men sexually and flexing on other women and uh, uh you know the, the standard stuff um but one thing that came out from this video is that she talked about having to start from nothing and her struggles and she rattled off the fact that she used to strip for money and then, uh, you know, guys would come on and want to do more with her and she would encourage that. And then she claimed to take them to a nearby hotel, uh, spiked her drink with a drug. And while they're unconscious, she would rob them of their jewelry and their cash and then skate away. Uh, this, like you said, this, this three or four year old video uh, surfaced last year and there was a hashtag going around Twitter called hashtag surviving Cardi B which was an aping of the surviving R. Kelly, mm-hmm. which was, you know, trying to draw an analogy between the underground, underage sex ring, sex slave ring that, that R. Kelly was running with uh, with uh, Cardi B, you know, drugging and, and uh, uh, robbing these men. It's also so I first heard about this on there's a subreddit that makes it to the front page of Reddit quite a bit called r slash unpopular opinions. Uh, which I think is a constant source of amazement, just the wrong-headed things that people come up with and are quite proud of. But this is one of the more popular, unpopular opinions. There's there's a sticky thread on the subreddit. It's called Ridiculously Popular Unpopular Opinions, where they keep a co- compilation of all the unpopular opinions, quote-unquote, that are posted on a near-daily basis. And one of them is the bullet point, Cardi B is a criminal slash sucks slash is overrated. Uh even with this sticky thread, I just did a quick Google, uh, a quick Reddit search and I found a thread from about a week ago uh, entitled Cardi B should be arrested and treated like the criminal she is. The text reads, she straight up admitted to drugging and robbing men. She may have changed since then or maybe she hasn't because I don't know or care. She might have apologized and quote unquote righted her wrongs. But all I know is this. If a man, especially one of Cardi B's status, were to come on video and go on to explain how he lured women to his hotel room, drugged them and robbed them and left, he'd be locked up for life. 
So why isn't Cardi getting the exact same treatment? Why isn't anything happening? Why is she just getting a free pass? It's bullshit and deserves equal treatment for her actions. Uh, some top rated comments heavily agree. Like, is she above the law now that every ratchet girl in the universe listens to her and has made her a multimillionaire? We all saw Bill Cosby get sent off for drugging and raping women. Is robbery not a crime as well? Uh, she's not above the law. A random woman none of us know can make exactly the same confessions on video and nothing would happen to her either. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about uh, in relation to this. Uh, number one, directly relating the thing that Bill Cosby is accused of. And R. Which, Kelly. Which is drugging and raping women over a period of at least 30 years. Dozens of accusers public essentially public knowledge for the last 10 or 15 and just recently he is finally facing the music as an old broken down man and bill cosby was doing this from a place of power yeah also um the other thing is there's a pretty big difference between a property crime like robbing a person and a personal crime like raping a person uh you know there's also the difference that like Cardi B said this in the context of an Instagram video uh, to date. As far as I'm aware, there's not a man that came forward and said, oh, yeah, I was one of those idiots that uh, was hitting on a stripper and she took me back to the room and got in a drug me and she she jacked my chain. None of there's no actual victims in contrast to Bill Cosby, in contrast to uh, R. Kelly. Uh, another thing is like you look at Chris Brown and his career. This is a guy who beat this shit out of Rihanna and there's you know you can look it up like you can look up the Google photos of her face beat in uh he still has a very successful career he still has female talent uh, top rated female talent that work with him so the idea that they're trying like I think it's very so, so it's, it's it's interesting just if we're trying to do a little one-to-one comparison that there's this all this outrage about this and the people this this guy is trying to unironically act like she's getting a free pass when she has gotten a lot of public heat for it she's had to apologize for it multiple times um, when when you know it, it doesn't even match like you know if you want to make it exactly like Bill Cosby she'd have to rape the unconscious men and then she have to get away with it for over 30 years um the other thing is i think it's interesting to talk about this in terms of like the rap game in general because i'm a big fan Mm -hmm. i'm a big fan of the rap game and those who keep it on a chokehold uh you look at jay-z little wayne rick ross the game 50 cent tons of people eminem himself uh, I'm talking about people who have bragged in their song and in interviews about the the, the crack that they've slung, the uh, time they spent in the kitchen cooking, uh, the times that they've pulled guns on men, the times they pulled AK-47s on men, the times they've killed people. Some of these people actually have criminal records, have been to jail for murder, attempted murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you look at Tupac and Biggie, guys who were actually gunned down in the streets over this. It's kind of and and just in terms of like the content of the lyrics, it's somewhat ridiculous because it's also not just a rap thing. If we're talking about just celebration and glorification of violence and music, like look at Johnny Cash, you know, shooting a man just to watch them die. Uh, Look at is Stevie Ray Vaughan that did uh, Copperhead Road, uh, which is about a Vietnam. uh, It's about his family's long history of lawlessness and the law, and it culminates with him uh, spending two tours of duty in Vietnam, 
coming back and turning his homestead, Copperhead Road, into a plantation for coca and uh, marijuana leaf <laughs> and uh, getting into an armed conflict with DEA agents and ultimately killing them. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that Cardi B is the very popular, unpopular opinion. And the thing I wanted to, uh, to, to kind of segue into is... The difference in like male and female power fantasies, because, you know, I've been a man for for all my life, turns out. <laughs> and I've uh, you know, I, I talked about some three right turns that I, I, I really gravitated towards people like Captain Picard, you know, people that were like more of a, you know, a, a very kind of shiny, bright, heroic type of person. And that's how I tried to see myself. But I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I don't understand the allure of like the Punisher and the Wolf and, and Wolverine, um, you know these anti heroes that take the law into their own hands and get justice for themselves or their family and kill people without any trial or any kind of retribution. I'm thinking about actual villains that get glorified in, in culture, like uh, Tony Montana from Scarface, Michael Corleone. Um, and no one bats an eye that like, you know, no one like you, you can watch Scarface and you can say the Godfather like I have is my favorite movie. And no one says like, you know, what deep, dark questions does this does this raise about Aaron? Why is he attracted to these dark uh, fantasies? And it's because masculine power fantasies tend to circulate and not always. I'm not saying this is every man, but it tends to circulate around our physical strength, our our, our physical power, how we can impose our will on other people through physical means, through our skillful use of weapons and our superior physiques uh, to, to reshape the world in our own way. And you contrast this to like what are acceptable ways that women have wielded power in culture. And it tends to be through their sexuality. It tends to be in the way they can manipulate men. And it makes perfect sense that, to me, women would, in a very fantasy type of way, in the same way that men might glorify Scarface, glorify the Godfather, glorify uh, the exploits of uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and and Jay-Z, look up to a woman who, through her, her sexuality and her personal charisma, can take advantage of stupid men and bend them to their will and cause them to provide for her and to give her to the, the it just is, you know, she uses her pussy. Uh, Dr. Dre uses an AK 47. Dr. Dre, by the way, physically horrifically assaulted a woman back in his NWA days. <laughs> yeah. Has no problem selling beats beats by Dre headphones. Um, and I just think, I just want to talk a little bit like, Last year, I think, like, Lil Wayne dropped a Carter 5, and one of the signature songs on that album was Mona Lisa, Mm -hmm. which is a fantasy where he runs a ring of beautiful women who seduce seduce men at clubs, clubs, take them back to their homes, gather intel, and allows Lil Wayne and his group of men to come in there and rob them and kill them. And I, I and when I heard that, I'm like, this is an interesting song. I would love to see a movie version of this where it's just all women. Get rid of, get, get, cut out the middleman, literally, <laughs> and just have a like a like an all female team that goes around like black widows and takes advantage of men who are either abusive or uh, disrespectful and robs them of their wealth and maybe deprives them of their life as well. I think that would be an interesting kind of R-rated thriller. I, I just got a note from our producer. Apparently, this movie's been made. It's uh, Jennifer uh, Jennifer Lopez's and it? it's Hustlers. I haven't seen it, but like, 
I've laid out all these things about why I think you can kind of look past or even understand where Cardi B is coming from. And number one, it's like, I don't even know that she did that. Like, uh, the rap game is also replete with a bunch of people who lie and inflate. Talk a that, big game. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Rick Ross, as Again, far as it's... I can tell, he moved zero weight <laughs> and has zero bodies. But if you listen to him, you'd think that he's like Oof. the baddest. <laughs> he's the baddest motherfucker of all time. Um, that's the thing. I mean, four years now that this has been a big story and I can't think of one person that's come out to say that they've been hurt, robbed and especially not raped by Cardi but B. But again, even if there was, I look at Chris Brown with Rihanna. I look uh, at Dr. Dre with D. Barnes. I look at uh, the, the R. Kelly with his harem of underage sex slaves. Like, there is a precedent for people get having fine careers and not having suffering any consequences. Why is it so important to, um, to, to, to put away Cardi B for life? It's 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 also not like hey she should be able she should be able to force to make restitution for her crimes and she should be put away for life she should mm-hmm. be locked away like I, I just think that's that's kind of interesting and and one of the things that I think men can do um, to improve the world is kind of better understand where women are coming from on some of these things and you know instead of like belittling or clutching our pearls about how women see their own power and how they see their power in society to like get to understand that and figure out why they think it's cool uh, i think it goes the, the the other way too like you know i think there's you know women occasionally are dismissive of men's fantasies and hobbies and the things that they do to make themselves feel big and bad and cool right um but especially seems like it's 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 uh I, I, this this outrage this outrage that I see um, from from these people seems way blown out of proportion. It really, really is. And now I'm seeing it come back again with the vengeance because you know Eminem did a sick sick diss track about Cardi B and yeah. and and this these incidents. And Eminem himself, who raps frequently about you know beating and killing women, mm-hmm. especially like his ex wife. Seems like it's a fantasy. Seems yeah. like it's a pretty unhealthy fantasy. But, you know, he's uh, I think he's talked openly about him living in an unhealthy lifestyle and trying to do better. And uh, but but yeah, 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 I mean, I will say one positive thing about Eminem is that he I mean, as far as we know, he hasn't had any gay homophobic or transphobic slurs on this latest album so oh, yeah it's progress. just like, it's like i i that <laughs> listening to every new eminem album is a little bit of a kind of a tightrope act it's like I'm, I'm waiting to hear the first other <laughs> f word or you know some so some it's kinda... like for this to come back into the public consciousness because yeah. eminem called her out is especially yeah. just even more absurd yeah um it would be nice to live in a world where he can you know do the diss track on her and it's just you know it doesn't turn into a vendetta against her um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, do you have anything? Cause like, um, what is it from a woman's perspective that's appealing to this, to this idea? Cause like I said, I understand like, you know, Frank Castle, his kids, his wife and kids get murdered in some kind of plot. And he, you know, as, as a uh, special operations guy who's specially trained and uniquely qualified to do so straps up with weapons and body armor and he gets bloody vengeance. I understand why. Yeah. I can see why that's super appealing because it's, it's a way to both scare people and make people feel safe. Mm. Like our own 13-year-old has BB guns in his room and he thinks that if someone breaks into our house at night, <laughs> right. that he's going to... You know, I understand that why that's a fantasy, a power fantasy. 
Makes you feel um, safe. Makes, makes you feel you, in control. Exactly. And I think that you said it perfectly that, you know, sexuality for women is something that they can wield and they feel like they should be able to have complete control over. Mm-hmm. There's also something that a Cardi B thing about like, because if you think about that, um, she's at a strip club and she's stripping um, and she drugs and robs a guy. There's the element of like the guy can't do shit to her because in real life he could go to the club the next day. And but but like she's like there's an element. She's so powerful and so established and so entrenched in whatever this community that she can do this with impunity that I think strikes a lot of like kind of like. Rap game in a chokehold kind of metaphors, you know? Maybe, but there's also something about taking back power in that moment, too. Because imagine if she takes a man to who's already paid her to look at her naked body while she's mm, stripping. Right. She takes him back to the hotel with the promise of sex. If she changed her mind, which is also her a taboo mind, in the strip world, you yeah, are not, there is no sex in the VIP room. You're not supposed to do prostitution. So the guy asking, like, "Hey, man, can we go? You know, can, can we go mm-hmm. anywhere else but here?" Kind of like, you know, right? So you take it outside of the confines of that safe environment right. where, like, that's absolutely no no, and you have entered into this new agreement. Now if the, she were to go to this hotel and change her mind things could get scary for her. Right. So she's retaking the control even in that situation. She's now the predator. Exactly. So she's parting this fool with a little bit more of his money uh-huh. without exchanging it for sex. Yeah. If she were raping guys and taking their money afterwards, then maybe she, you could uh, compare her to Bill Cosby. But yeah, that's the other thing is like, there's, there's levels of fucked up this fantasy could get. Like she could yeah. rape guys. She could rape guys and have their babies and have them for i mean there's all there's there's all kinds of like grosser things she could do other than just essentially because this is essentially a stick this is being stuck up this is having your chain snatched with a pussy instead of uh, a nine millimeter exactly and there's also this this element of what society tells you to be society tells Mm -hmm. young men to be these strong people society tells women to be these very beautiful sexual creatures but Mm. not actually have sex just you know want to be sexual right so you take it to its logical extreme and there you go right weaponizing that just like you weaponize your your physical skills as a man like i said i i i've never i guess i never had a problem understanding that aspect of like you know the difference between men and women again and also like you know just like not all men probably have these kind of dark uh, revenge type anti-hero fantasies. Not every woman have fantasies about being sexually powerful. Like there's probably a lot of women listening to here that can't relate to that mm-hmm. at all, that feeling at all. But uh, the ones that do, I, I can see why it'd be like super powerful. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's what I, I want to talk about. I have I have something I want to talk about that's sort of similar, a little bit closer to home, as far as like masculinity versus femininity go. And maybe that's putting it too black and white, but I kind of observe lately that my female friendships are very intimate and they always have been. I feel like women don't have as many boundaries when they become friends with each other as men do. Mm-hmm. I feel like women, for better or worse, can share a lot more with each other and men are supposed to be these like rigid stoic figures the ma- the masculine and- ideal is a person who is stoic and suffers in silence and doesn't bother people with his yeah. personal issues and just solves them and can't even com- and you know can't even confide in another man who feels exactly the same way right and i feel like that sometimes 
can manifest itself in, you know, violence against themselves and other people. And I don't mean that like physically, I guess violence is kind of a broad term, but I mean that it hurts them and other people, you know, in what what way? And that you can't, you don't have someone you can relate to to share your feelings and thoughts just in a very open, honest way. And that causes you to repress a lot of things. And if you go to speak, seek a therapist, if you can't even find a friend, you're not going to be, you're not even going to look for therapy. Yeah. No, guys don't, don't share. Well, I mean, I I don't, because here's the thing. Um, it's not all, you know, not all women are this open and sharing exactly. and have these open, you know, relationships. Also, some women, uh, you know, can uh, are can be catty about the way they get information from other women. Well, that's and, what I'm saying. What they do with stuff. the information. Right. But like in, in general, if we're talking very high level stereotypical, it because it, um, I, I, I was going to say so that society allows you to act within. Yeah, because I know friends. I've got some people. Uh, I've got a couple friends that keep their personal life pretty close to the vest. I got mm. some friends that are more or less an open book, but I've also kind of sought out those relationships and I've been the guy who you know is pretty open in my friend circles about talking about struggles and checking in on people so you help like other men that you've been friends with kind of break down those boundaries or you I don't know it's I don't because I can say I can say for certainty with almost all of my women friends Uh um that we just don't have those kinds of natural boundaries Mm. and it's not natural boundaries, but, you know, we're just really open in a way like, <laughs> for example, in a silly way, I know what all of my friends look like naked. If I haven't seen it, then they've told me specifics because mm-hmm. it's just something that you feel like you can talk about in a non-sexualized way. But it's just you don't have these boundaries where you can get really into the deep things and just talk about them. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and it like- just always comes up where... I was talking to you about this and you said you haven't seen any of your friends naked. Yeah. But you, you go into a men's bathroom and you've got urinals right in a row with no boundaries between them. It feels weird to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's weird. Cause so like urinal culture is weird because like I would <laughs> love urinal culture. I, I love would, that. Term. Yeah. I, I would love to see like what the women's bathroom etiquette would be if the default settings were stalls that had well, they weren't even stalls. They're just, they're just toilets and they're spaced about 18 inches from each other and there's no dividing walls. Like uh, it's, it's different. Uh, it, I, it's different when you're talking about strangers. Mm-hmm. Like I would feel, I wouldn't feel, I, I personally wouldn't feel uncomfortable getting naked in front of my friends. Um, like in, in kind of like a swimming, like I, I wouldn't just be like, yo, pants off dudes. Woo. But like, you know, if we were all swimming or we had to change clothes quickly to get to some place. Um, but, uh, but, but I, I, you know, I don't want strangers kind of like checking me out. I feel like a violation. Yeah, um, I but I, I will say point, that like, but... I, cause I remember you and I talking about this a couple of years ago and the next time me and a bunch of my guy friends got together in a big group, I think it was at the bypacks in Vegas. Yeah. I actually, uh, you know, we were kind of like this freewheeling discussion about stuff. And I said, do y'all think it's in- weird that we've never seen each other's dicks? Uh, and no one thought that that was weird, and no. and there was a big sentiment to keep it that way. Like, and they're like, "Are you are you wanting to tell us something?" Like, no, I'm not threatening to to unleash un- unleash the kraken. <laughs> I just think, like, I talked to my wife, and we kind of talked about our girlfriend slash wives experience, and it does seem like women are a little bit more open about not just f- emotional empathy, but like that's not as big a deal to like you know whip your bra off or change a shirt in front of a friend or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, but that's just that's just one aspect of it. But just like the emotional honesty, I think is really important to connect with someone. Uh, maybe men and women is too fine of a point. Yeah. Just your own friends finding someone that you can have that kind of connection with. I will say that like is I, really important someone I can just like call on the phone and talk about whatever especially if I'm upset yeah it's so crucial and I think it's something that men should engage in more yeah and I, I will say that like there was a time in life before I moved to Cincinnati and I was a little bit health in a, in a healthier like emotional standpoint that I had those relationships with men mm-hmm. um, and I probably still do it's but, just that it, they I haven't used them for long enough that it feels like I've been lately thinking there's a couple friends that I want to call, but I put off calling because uh, it's kind of like the like like in Rocky, the, the latest Rocky or no, it wasn't. It was I guess it was Creed, Creed. too, where Rocky's got this plot where he wants to call his son. But it's been so his long since he's called son. that it's weird. And there's a little bit of it. Like, I feel that like, oh, my God, I'm such a bad friend. I haven't called this guy since he moved to Denver it's been, oh my God, it's been two and a half years. We used to be best friends and talk all the time. Like, how bad of a, oh, oh shit, he hasn't called me either. Is, are, are we beefing? Were we beefing? Like, if I call and be like, oh, we're best friends. He's like, yeah, well, fuck you. You didn't. I, I'm i a little gripped up about it. Oh. And, but, you know, like. See, I'm glad you said that because I feel, I feel kind of the opposite. Like, I feel like I'm so in tune with kind of the friends that I have mm-hmm. that we can go months without speaking and still be on the same page when we connect again. Well, Because we're not going to hold yeah. it against each other. That kind of openness goes both ways. If we're upset with each other, we're also going to communicate that. But it's weird because I've also had friends I don't have a lot of regular contact just in the last month or two text me with like a personal crisis that they wanted to talk through. Well, and I, nice. I didn't be like, well, who is this son of a bitch just going to come <laughs> and ruin my Thursday evening because he's got a little bit of a problem. I was like, oh, my God. I can't believe that so-and-so trusted and loved me enough to like, you know, want to, to talk this through with me. And but I need to get better because I honestly I that's one of my 2020 goals is to reconnect with some of my friends and to kind of rekindle those friendships because I need it. I need it. Like I've had yeah. uh uh, you know, I, I lean on my dad a lot and I know I lean on you a lot. Um and I know I think that's a that's something that I hear women complain about a lot, that they're uh, the men that they're with use them as their sole outlet for emotional and mental problems. I haven't heard that, but that's another good point to this whole argument. That, that argument, like, that like, discussion. like, you know, the women, um, it's not, and it's, it's like, it's one of the things that's like, you know, you don't want to say to a man like Jesus Christ, you know, uh, don't tell me your problems, but also it can be somewhat exhausting if you're the only outlet for that. Right. Or uh, if you're speaking to someone who can't exactly understand, like right. a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends talk to me and each other and don't expect a resolution or an answer. Yeah. They don't expect me to give them great advice, even though I do do it sometimes when they want it. Yeah. They just want to be heard. And they just I just want someone the, to talk to and be heard and someone to understand. I found that some of my guy relationships, I felt that like when I talk about a problem, it's it's like, hey, I'm just trying to vent and they're trying to solve the problem. Um, you know, sometimes all you're looking for is like, man, that sucks. Like, that sounds like it's really hard. Or sometimes they can be the person who can just check you on your bullshit. Yeah. Like, oh my God, my husband said that I was an asshole. And they're like, wow. Yeah, you're kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I I kind of have that as a 2020. Like we don't do New Year's resolutions, like we said. Uh, but but it's something if we I, did, it would go a little something, a little something like... like this. It's something I kind <laughs> of uncovered in you know the things we did do, like our little hikes, and uh, I got in some alone time recently, and I was just really reflecting that like that's a key thing that's changed since I moved to Cincinnati. Is I've made zero effort to expand my friend circle or to. Uh, keep the friend circle that I had like in Indianapolis, my friends in Cincinnati, friends who have moved from uh, or my friends who live in uh, Seattle, my friends who lived in Indianapolis and who may have moved also. I haven't put hardly any emotional labor into keeping those connections up. And I think I've suffered. I, I know I've suffered for it. And it takes so very little. I know it feels kind of overwhelming when that much time has elapsed, but it takes so very little. Yeah, like a, a text, special like, a text message, an email, a Facebook message, however you communicate with these people, just say like, "Hey, I'm thinking about you. I know we've been busy, but I'm, you know, whatever." That's the I'm thing is, like, I, I, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do because, like, I naturally think about these friends on a fairly frequent basis, and I'm like, "Man, the next time I, I think about thinking about them, I'm just going to let them know." Like, exactly, hey, and that, that you know, means I was a lot. watching this, and it reminded me of the time that we, yes. hey, I miss you, bro. Kind of. That's what I was going to say. Reminding yeah. people of, yeah, when you think about them. And I need to also, because like I have so much fun, you know, just hanging out with you on my off weekends with with Jack. I, I need to make a like a weekend to go back to Indianapolis just myself and like you know make appointments with people and be like, hey, let's have dinner, let's hang out this, let's do what that. A, yeah, don't put too much pressure on yourself. <laughs> no, I, I'm just I'm just just spitballing ideas of things I can do. But yeah, I think just just re- reconnecting, just like call, because I also feel like, oh man, what what if I call? And because like a lot of these people are in different time zones, like what if I call and they're in the middle of something and like you know they don't have time. The text and, message will just sit there and wait for when they're ready. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the beauty of 2020 and the ugliness too. <laughs> Nobody talks on the phone anymore. It's I hate, but talk. it's also so much easier to just stay in constant contact. Yeah. Like I've been trying to talk to my friend on the phone for days. We've been texting hey, constantly, yeah. uh-huh. so we could have had the conversation we need to have over text. But mm. you know, just staying in contact to let each other know that it's not personal. We mean to catch up, and we will as soon as possible. Yeah, you're still connected that way. All right, that's enough of our bullshit. Well, we solved think. all of that. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a couple of emails. For advice uh, that we could solve too. Before we get to our advice segment, we want to talk about something we talked about last uh, time. Um, it's something that's really exciting. It's how we are monetizing our primary way of monetizing Swizzbold and supporting it, which is our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Swizzbold. Uh, we've already had uh, f- uh, almost 50 people sign up uh, by the time we've recorded this. Um, and there's a lot of things that you can get for your uh, participation other than just keeping Swizzbold going. So currently we have three different tier levels that are all Mr. Rogers themed. If you've been following the One Weird Trick podcast, then you are familiar with these des- designations. Um, we've got a lot of, we've got a couple of things that we're offering right now, such as specific Reddit flares that you can get for signing up and becoming a patron. We're planning on starting in February doing a monthly patron-only live stream and also... Of all three of us, me, Cecily, and our silent unheard producer, producer, Jim. Jim is going to be stepping from behind a green screen from whatever, control board. <laughs> yeah, and in February, we're going to start thanking all of our... Uh, Fred level patrons by name at the end of our podcasts. Yeah. So there's a lot of exciting things to come. And the the primary thing is that this is how 
this, this is how you tell us that you would like us to do more of this and to keep doing this because we tend to have a very limited amount of time that we can do produce content. And we've been really excited about the Swizzbold idea and we have a lot of things that we're excited to share and talk about. Um, but if we want, if, if that is to continue to happening, then it'll be because people see the value of it and, uh, support us and it'll be an easy decision to be like, oh, we should spend more time or we should keep devoting this time because people see it as useful and beneficial and they're getting, uh, enough value that they're, they're, they're putting their wallets behind it. Right. And bold move and Swizz bold are separate networks that we're trying to make work at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we need your support to make that happen. Yeah. So go to patreon.com slash to see the different offerings, select one that is right for you. And if you can't support us that way, uh, please, uh, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to our podcast, uh, share, our podcast on social media, talk about Swizzbold with your friends. Those are great ways for us to build the audience uh, and, and support Swizzbold as well. How if people want to reach us for advice on life, love, relationships, finances, careers, how do they do that, Cecily? They can email us at OWT at Swizzbold.com. First up. That's our email address. Um, and of course, like as we say, um, unless you specify as otherwise, we will not use your real name. We will make up a name for you. Um, or if you'd like to suggest a name, you can do that. But uh, if, if you don't mention it by, directly that we can use your name, we won't. If you don't, yeah. Um, unrelated, Chris uh, emails us and asks, am I making a critical mistake by not leaving the Catholic Church? Have you tried the new pope? <laughs> Have you tried to the televangelism known as the new Pope? Uh, Chris continues. I'm a 40 year old single dad with a 14 year old daughter and 11 year old son. My wife and their mother died of breast cancer seven years ago. So now I have tragically reached a stage where I've been raising my kids alone longer than I did together with my life. I'm so sorry to hear that. She yeah, died way too young. That's a really hard position to be in. That is incredibly hard position to be in. And, and, uh, uh, let's continue. Let's continue because I, mm -hmm. I he's 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 very he's done well for himself. That's you know spoiler alert. I've I've read the entire email. <laughs> My wife and I both grew up in Catholic families, attended Catholic schools through secondary education, and were married in the church. I suppose you could call us cafeteria Catholics, though, as we were slash are pro choice, pro birth control using, gay rights supporters, etc. We just grew up in the tradition and enjoyed the community of our neighborhood parish and just generally like Jesus style, but not most of the church doctrine. Man, I, I feel you on that. My wife got her cancer diagnosis as her daughter finished preschool. And when confronted with the public versus private school decision, we went with the Catholic school route. For lack of a better reason, it was a gut call with the possibility of her premature death and the prioritized desire to have a strong community in place to help me pick up the pieces and move forward. For that purpose, at least, this Catholic school community has served me and my kids well. Uh, here's the rub. My daughter confided to me two years ago while in sixth grade that she identified as being gay. I embraced her with love and acceptance, but she remains closed with her feelings beyond me, some close friends, her counselor, and her amazingly mature and supportive 11-year-old brother. We've now made it to the finish line of eighth grade for her, uh, this school, and she will embark on a new adventure in the local public high school next year, while all of her friends continue on with Catholic high school. She's excited and brave for this new chapter and, conf and confided she feels she can finally be herself and not be in fear of her safety. This crushes me with profound guilt that I did not years ago immediately remove my child from an environment where she did not feel accepted. I think I wanted to just get her through and then start anew, but in hindsight, I find myself feeling guilty. 
She is now headed at the right to the right place for her, and I am thankful. But my son still attends his Catholic institution, or this Catholic institution. It's very possible that he may choose the Catholic high school route as his priorities differ more on athletics and friendships, which may lead him to the Catholic option, which is perfectly his right to feel, in my opinion. It feels like making a choice for them, whether we are a Catholic or not, and making a school social life choice for my son that I did not make for my daughter. Given now my family circumstance and my daughter's growing identity, I wonder if I can in good conscience stay in this school and in this church. As parents and those who have dealt with religion slash family and really tough decisions, I would value your advice. Well, thanks, Chris. We appreciate you uh, trusting us with that. Yeah. Uh, Let's see how we do. (laughs) I have some things I want to share right off the top. Your family comes from a Catholic tradition. (laughs) Yeah. I have a couple things in common with you. My um, grandmother and mother are preaching Catholics. What do you call a Catholic that seems like they're very, very into it, but never actually goes to church or culturally Catholic, culturally Catholic, Catholic, I think, Catholic? is something like that. Like cafeteria Catholic is involved, but they kind of pick and choose what they believe or culturally Catholic is just like my grandma sleeps with the Bible next to the bed and all like the, the women in the cast. family drink a lot. Jersey Shore cast, culturally <laughs> Catholic, you know, culturally yeah. Catholic. <laughs> so I can understand that in a little way. Um, my grandma and my mother also had breast cancer. Mm. Um, my mom had this uh, aggressive BRCA gene, so I got to see both of them go through this, and it's not—it's not an easy thing. You had a happier outcome. I did have a much happier outcome. They're both still alive today, but it's—that's—that's that's a really tough thing to go through. And it seems like you've stayed close with your daughter and your son, and. You know, you don't want to just change up the routine immediately just because mom died. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that could shake up their life a little bit more than they want to happen, even if you mm-hmm. mean well. Yeah. Um. However, your daughter still feels comfortable sharing something very private with you mm-hmm. that she can't share with everyone yet. And that's that's something you've got on your side. Yeah. The fact that she... And- says that she didn't feel safe in this Catholic institution, but you yourself, a Catholic who has apparently lived these ideals that you've espoused in this email, the mm-hmm. fact that you were open and accepting of people. I mean, it's a it's a really good sign that you were among that inner circle that she trusted you with this knowledge. Right. So, and the most important part is, is she told you that she doesn't want to be in the Catholic school anymore and she right. wants to go to a public school. And you listened. And that you, wasn't a problem. Yeah. You made that happen for her. It sounds like she's internalized the idea that you can be Catholic and not anti-gay. In fact, it's I I know that the Catholic Church, you know, because again we're watching the New Pope. I know the Catholic Church is something. This is they they've struggled with this. They've struggled with, um, uh, you know, uh, to what extent to embrace or hold at arm's length these these uh, gay members of their church. But I also know from going to Pride. Uh, last year in in Cincinnati, that there's several, uh, and you know, Cincinnati is a fairly conservative town. There's there's several parishes uh, or Catholic church. I don't know, I'm sure what the correct terminology is. I was raised in churches called Kingdom Halls, so how, the, the Catholic Kingdom Halls. Uh, there's a few of them that openly support uh, uh, gay people and make them feel welcome at their services, and you know, have the rainbow flags out. And I I don't you didn't you didn't mention where you live, but. Um, you know, I, I, if the community is kind of that accepting, like maybe this isn't a problem. Um, I, I, but I think that you've got a good enough relationship with your daughter that like having an open relationship about like, hey, honey, 
how do you feel about me and your brother? Like, does this, is this, is this causing you kind of stress, anxiety? Is it, um, are there things that we might not be aware of? Like, are we, uh, maybe biting our tongues around certain people and you'd wish that we'd speak out more because there is a certain nobility and kind of standing in your own community and fighting for change, especially since I don't think Catholics are big on excommunication, like in the way like Jehovah's witnesses are. I know there's like, uh, a conservative pundit that I used to follow, Andrew Sullivan, uh, was an out and proud Catholic. I think still is. Um, it has lots of. He's opinions. an out and proud Catholic. Uh, gay Catholic. He's also gay. <laughs> he's also he's also an out and proud gay Catholic. I should I should point that out. Um, so there's kind of a nobility in like, hey, I've got the freedom to question this institution within the institution. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also something to be said for not taking that kind of weight on your shoulders when you're a little kid trying to figure out your identity and sexuality and things like that. Yeah. And it sounds like you've always given them the freedom, the freedom to make their own choices, which is super important. Yeah. They may really regret this. Your daughter may regret public high school. I mean, I certainly did. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go to Catholic school. High school any kind is hard. Uh Um, and your 11 year old son definitely needs that same freedom, which it looks like you're willing to give him. When I was a kid, and my mom, like I said, she was Catholic in spirit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wanted to go to church because my friends were, and she would take me there and allowed me to sort of explore these kinds of ideas. When I was in high school, I went to a Lutheran high school for a while mm-hmm. because I wanted the attention of a public or private school with the small classroom sizes and things like that. And again, I have, a, I have an atheist friend who's. Uh baby mama is a Catholic and he agreed to send his son to Catholic school just because the Catholic schools are so much better in their area than the, the, the public schools. Yeah. Um, just from an educational standpoint, he wasn't thrilled with the religious education, but you know, he's got home to deal with that. So like, I, I, I don't think it's super uncommon for people to support Catholic schools, even if they're not themselves Catholic, but it all comes down to like, how is this making your daughter feel? If your daughter's feeling like there's a gulf between you because she can't understand why, how you can possibly be Catholic when the priest is up here saying X, Y, Z or whatever, then that's, but, but I feel like from what you've said, she feels empowered and safe to talk about these things with you. So, and also you have reasons why you are still a Catholic and still participating. Sure. And if she has those questions, then you should answer them honestly. Yeah. And if you don't feel like you can answer them honestly, then you know, live your best life for your children. Yeah. And it also might help to like, I don't know, like how conversant are you with like the current thought about, you know, gays in the Catholic church? Like I was just in, in, in perusing kind of getting my thoughts together. There's lots of really eloquently written articles explaining, you know, like kind of reconciling, uh, uh, being gay in the church with the writings of Jesus and the Bible and, you know, doing, uh, like, or, what are the intellectual and, and reason arguments for like why gays should be accepted? Is this something that like, you know, because uh, Catholic Church has got a bad track record for a lot of things, but also has a pretty progressive track record in doing things like embracing evolution, you know, like they don't stubbornly resist change until they're or they, 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 they seem like it's a fairly dynamic religion that has several mechanisms for reform um, and like softening things that are not working anymore. Um you know, or uh, I guess if you want to understand another way to get closer to what God originally intended and further away from like, you know, the perversions of man and tradition. Um, 
So I that would be just kind of intellectually kind of see what's out there and, you know, look look for like the love and grace that's out there. Yeah. And if you're looking for <laughs> just a fun time, there's a movie that came out in 1999 called But I'm a Cheerleader starring Natasha Lyonne. Where she is a of of Russian doll fame, <laughs> yeah, of Orange is the New Black fame. Where she's a you know young, pretty blonde cheerleader who's sent to a gay conversion therapy mm. camp. Uh, that's that's it's really funny. Yours sounds like your daughter's old enough to handle some of that lighthearted stuff too. And you know what? The thing is, I always tell people uh, this crucial about kids is you love them, and I can tell that you do, and it seems like your daughter can too, and that's that's the important part. Okay. This next one is from Travis. Travis asks, how do you make peace with anger? What do you do when you're angry about something completely irrational? This is one that is becoming very relevant in my life because of my upbringing and the need to not rock the boat since there was just a lot of chaos taking up a lot of the house's oxygen. Anger was kind of treated as something destructive and not useful, so I avoided it. Why get angry? It just makes people irrational and doesn't solve anything. So I developed what my shrink is called a judge in my subconscious who examines everything that would make me angry and decides whether or not I'm allowed to be upset. Rationally, I am extreme. I extremely rarely find any reason to be angry and frequently end up turning it on myself. Why am I getting mad at this when there are such good reasons for this thing that bothers me to exist? Only an asshole would be mad at that. (laughs) And I stuff it, though I believe I've legislated it away. It's kind of a play on the old, how can I feel down on my luck when there are children starving in the streets? Something my mom totally used to say. I'm making peace with the notion that anger isn't rational, but I don't really know how to accept and dispose of it when it is irrational. Also, I'm super bad at being the target of anger. When my wife and I get into a fight, I feel like my entire world is collapsing around me. I revert into these sort of childlike loops of thought, excuses, and justifications, and I internalize all blame for all things and I can't get out of the loop or shake the panic. The pressure in me builds and builds and prolonged anxiety attack symptoms. How does a man in his 40s learn to process anger, both incoming and outgoing? I would really appreciate any advice you can give. Uh, well, I mean, you've come to the right place because I, I'll i speak for myself and you can talk um, about your experiences. But I grew up in a household that did not prepare me to deal with anger in a healthy way. I come from a long line of hotheads and people prone to outbursts of anger and don't have healthy outlets for it. And, you know, would just go full nuclear and start screaming and yelling. Um, and that was something that I started to see manifest myself in my adult life. when I was horrified to find out because like I, the last thing I wanted to be is like my mom and dad, uh, so it's one of the early focuses on my um, therapy is like, you know, how can I how can I stop doing that? How can I, um, you know, I don't don't want to squelch my emotions, but how can I deal with this anger in a healthy way? What about your experience? Uh, yeah, I can identify with a lot of what Travis said in this email based on, you know, childhood upbringing it has a lot to do with how you process and deal with anger. Your parents teach you how. As much as, you know, we kind of want to deny it to ourselves because you are processing in a different way or what you've justified as being a better way, things like that, it's still there. Stuffing it down isn't good or it isn't the same thing as processing it. Um, But I was doing a little bit of research in answering this question to look outside of myself and how other people deal with it. And 
I realized that I am manifesting anger in ways that I didn't think were anger. Um, even currently. But there's, I mean, incoming and outgoing is something that I struggle with a lot too. To feel like every time someone's angry, it's your fault. Right. And it's something that you need to take super personally. And it's a criticism of you, which isn't true. Yeah. Not always. Uh, so yeah. Do you have any advice for how to deal with this? Well, it's just, I was just say the different types of anger. Cause like I got it in both directions in my house. Like my dad's anger was like loud and explosive. And my mom's was like, uh, cold and quiet. Yeah. Like my mom would just give you the silent treatment when she was angry with you and Same. make you come back to be like, Oh my God, what's wrong? What have I done? Please. Uh, where my dad would just, you know, just blow, just blow up on you. Um, and I, I think that it's, first of all, it's just really tough because there's probably a genetic component to this. Mm -hmm. And then you grow up in an environment that has not treated, does not enabled you to like learn how to, to deal with that and to feel like you've got, cause I think one of the problems is like, um, I never saw any like positive conflict resolution. Like my mom and dad, like just talking things out. It always ended up in these big things where my dad would get angry and explode. I think in this part of the dynamic. So like, my dad didn't know how to deal with his anger um, and he would explode and then he would feel bad and shameful about exploding on his family members. And then there'd just be reconciliation where everyone would feel better by him coming and, you know, he would never apologize, but there was would... no conversation. Everyone would just move on. Right. Yeah. there, But, but it's kind of like that is like how he converted his anger to empathy because he could see his family being frightened or crying or whatever and then that calmed him down and then you know that was kind of like the cycle that we went to so like i think the first thing you have to do and that then it sounds like you were in therapy and maybe you're going down this road too is like uh, separate the emotion from the actions you might take like um you know, uh, concentrate. And the way I was taught to do this is to concentrate on the physical sensations I'm feeling. Like when I feel, start to feel angry, and I'm like, oh, my ears are turning red, my shoulders are getting tense, I'm breathing heavily, uh, I, 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 I can hear like blood brushing in my ears. You know, like my my jaw, my jaw is tense. And as you recognize those physical sensations, you're supposed to like manually counteract it. Like you're clenching your jaw, so you. You, you you manually like unclench the jaw and then if you f catch yourself reclenching you keep you go through a cycle of a, a essentially kind of like diagnostics like oh you focus my, on the feelings yeah my, my muscles are tensing so i'm gonna try to relax oh now my jaw's clenching i'm gonna try just doing that occupies your higher brain functions enough to kind of get the lizard brain under control and that way you spend your time doing that rather than, I don't know, breaking things or yelling at things or acting and, withdrawn and, and sullen or whatever. And not only that, you can trace it back internally to figure out the reason why you're even that angry. Right. And, if, and the, the, the sooner you identify the physical triggers, you can start realizing like, oh, I notice when I get really angry I'm in this position and it's this topic and it's this thing that reminds me of when my mom used to catch me playing doom and shamed me and, you know, hated me playing video games and whatnot. And that's triggering my things because my wife is upset that I watch too much football. And now I feel like I'm ashamed. There's this things like you have to figure out what the triggers are. But then also the other thing is like to find a safe way to express that emotion. Um, and what I've been doing uh, with my family is like when I'm upset, I used to try to hide that. 
I used to like the angry I'd get, the more I'd try to like, okay, I'm just going to white knuckle this. And, um, whereas now I'm just kind of like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling really angry and irrational right now. And I'm not feeling like, you know, I, I, I know I'm being an asshole, but I'm just really mad right now. And just saying it. So people, cause I think since Cecil and I kind of grew up in the same situations, like that would feed in. Like when I get angry and silent, then she would think, oh my God, what have I done wrong? And then that would like, uh, our whole dynamic would start to spiral apart. So just being, just acknowledging that like, yes, I'm angry. It's not about you. It's about some other thing. Um, you know, get some time to do those exercises where you focus on where this fence is a physical sensation. You know, this, this, this adrenaline's a hell of a drug. Like that fight or flight response is, you know, when someone cuts you off in traffic and suddenly the most important thing to do is to like in that man's whole world or that woman, <laughs> like that is your body hijacking your brain and becoming, or, yeah, becoming aware I mean, of that and trying to systematically push your body in the other direction is, is really important. Right. On, on the reverse side, if you're the kind of person who tends to withdraw and have that cold sort of hostility towards other people and you think that it's just you you know, re- reeling in your wrath, it's still just as as uh, scary a display of anger as, you know, just venting. Yeah. But but yeah, finding safe ways like I when I was going through a divorce and leaving my religion and I had all this like unfairness and anger, um, like I just, just started doing boxing and like, you know, punching a heavy bag is really good at that. Like punching a pillow, screaming into a pillow, going on a long, angry walk. <laughs> Um, Not even that. I mean, the, a lot of those things are ways to vent out that mm-hmm. anger. But once you've, you know, traced the feeling back and you understand kind of the triggers, then you can help to undo it for the next time. Yeah. You know, then next time you'll understand what the triggers are. You won't be stuck in these patterns of, you know, like I'm angry about this other thing. So I'm going to remember everything I've ever been angry about. Right. So I'm going to get even angrier. Mm-hmm. You know, those things don't help either. And it takes a lot of just conscious effort. And there's and it also there's nothing wrong with being angry. Um, it happens to everybody. Um, and as you learn more about your anger, you'll become less afraid of because you know the anger is also what can fuel like strength. Like angry about conditions in the world, angry about uh, thing you know, getting getting justifiably angry about things that are happening in society, or can keep you motivated to do something about it. Um, a lot of people who fully suppress their anger turn into very passive. Uh, you know, kind of weak, wispy, shadow people that don't have any kind of impact in their own lives or others because they're so afraid of their anger and they're so afraid of expressing it. Um, but if you become kind of like friendly with it or you, you get to know it better, it becomes, you know, less threatening and scary and more of like, you know, it's like it's like uh, imagine if you just like every time you felt like you had to take a shit, you just you just lost it. Oh my God. Oh my God. I feel my butt puckering. Oh, oh man, there's going to be some poop coming out. Oh, what the fuck am I going to like? Imagine what like a hellish life that would be to get that upset about a natural process. Yet we feel that way about our feelings. Yeah. So on the other side of that problem, like Travis and I dealing with angry people and thinking that it's all of our problem, you can't have that feeling either. There's sort of the same processes where you have to understand in yourself that it's not your fault. This person is angry. And as much as you felt irrational when you're angry, so is that person. So you have to distance yourself from your emotions. Where you are angry, you tune in. When someone else is angry, you tune out. Mm-hmm. And you have to work on trying to calm that person down. Mm-hmm. That seems like a lot. But you can try to distract that person. Help them calm down. If they are angry and you try to give them distance and just let them feel that way and you put them on an island by themselves, 
they might go to that rumination type of stage where they start remembering all the things they were angry about and just kind of like continue to cycle down. Yeah. So you could distract them with laughter or some other thing in the moment. You could remind them that you love them. Yeah. Something like that to help them come back to that place. I do think that like leaving like someone trying to give you the silent treatment, leaving them alone is a good strategy and let them eventually come to you and be like, you know, the fuck is your problem? Because then you can then know, okay, now we're going to have a discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, someone's like visibly angry or upset, like, you know, uh, but some people just need to be upset for a while and that's fine too. Mm hmm. Uh, let's move on to Dr. Feelgood or how I learned to stop worrying and love depression. (laughs) Dr. Feelgood says I'm currently a resident physician, which means I've graduated medical school within the last couple of years. And I'm currently a doctor finishing training before I can participate independently or practice independently. Yeah. I've seen Noah Wiley's arc on ER. I, I, I get it, doc. Uh, During medical school, I struggled greatly with depression, including both active and passive thoughts of suicide, with multiple crises in which I was moments away from taking my own life. Antidepressants somewhat took the edge off, but I never got over the feeling that if I were to stop existing, nothing in the world would be different, but I would be at least at peace. The suicide rate for resident physicians in nearly every country is notably higher than that of the general population. Every year, there are far too many bright young doctors who end their own lives due to financial pressures, systematic abuse built into the foundations of medical training, and work hours that are so unreasonable that they are were recently legally regulated. The almost zero residency programs actually adhere to the regulations. They just, quote unquote, encourage residents to report their legal hours rather than the actual hours we work. I mean, like I said, I saw ER and it seems like the residents' lives are shitty. Like, you know, you'd sleep at the hospital and you'd work these long shit. I don't under I don't I don't understand what it is in the medical culture that causes that kind of like trial by fire, but it seems like it's uh something they value. I don't know. I, I it'd be interesting to see because I know truckers had a similar thing where like, you know, they were encouraged to work long hours. And then, you know, they were encouraged to keep logbooks and then they're encouraged to lie about. And then like enough fatalities happen that like people really no, no, seriously. And I feel like that's got to happen. The same thing with medical, you know, like tired doctors got to be killing people, right? For sure. But is it something like, you know, if you have a 24 hour surgery, is that something you have to get your body trained to do? Do Because those things exist. Yeah, they do. But like. If you have a 24 hour surgery, I hope you get 48 off, you know, kind of kind of thing. But the residents yeah. is just kind of like they just run you into the ground, almost like by design. Anyway, back to uh, Dr. Feelgood here. Uh, paradoxically, I feel, though, now I'm thriving on a day to day basis. I feel like an entirely new person that the sun has come out in the first time for almost eight years. Sure, I work hours. It can sometimes be equivalent to three full time jobs. Sure, I never see my spouse, though. Sometimes we get a chance to high five as I come home from the night shift and she works for work, leaves for work in the morning. And sure, my financial situation is still utterly shit. A little over five hundred thousand in personal debt with my school debts in the house, excluding my wife's considerable student loans of her own. The game changer for me is that I finally feel as though I'm actively participating in something that matters. I fairly well trace my depression back to the feeling that for the past eight years of my life, I was on a hamster wheel of studying to pass the next test without actually doing anything into my worldview, meaningfully contribute to society. But these days, I have the privilege of helping people through some of the most difficult times of their life and help them uh, better their health. Uh, the American healthcare system is incredibly flawed and the medical education establishment could be uh, is in need of a serious overhaul, but on the whole, I'm having an absolute blast helping sick people get better. Here's the advice part. As someone who has experienced profound depression, I would love to know if either of you have tips to continuing to keep from backsliding into old, well-established 
patterns of negative thought with an extra credit question. As someone who is currently experiencing a great deal of happiness in my life, do you have any weird tricks for how to best offer support and empathy for my colleagues who may be struggling? This is a, a great question. There's this um, poem that I've talked about several times on different Bald Move podcasts. It's called There's a Hole in My Sidewalk by Portia Nelson. And it's about um, any kind of personal struggle. But it, it, it's, it's, it's especially good for like dealing with depression. And mm. the, the very short version of it is like, you know, this person walks down uh, their sidewalk and they fall in this deep, dark hole and it's scary and they can't see anything and they can't they, 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 they don't know how to get out, but they slowly feel their way around and they find the exit and they climb up to the top and they get out of there. And then the next day they fall down the hole and it's still scary, but they've done it before and they know they can do it again. So they get out the hole a little bit quicker. The third time, the next day they go walk down the street, fall in the hole um, and they're able to quickly and efficiently get out of the hole because this is a familiar process. And the fourth time they walk down the street, uh, they see the hole and they walk around it. And that's kind of a that's a, that's a nice, neat story for like recovering from like an emotional or mental uh, a bout of illness or depression. Um, but it's not that linear because uh, you'll find different holes to fall down or uh, like a hole will be a slightly different size or shape. Um, it's not like once you learn to get out of holes and identify them, you'll never have a problem again. So I think one of the keys is to always forgive yourself. You know, if you find yourself backsliding, uh, that's the 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 at least for me, uh, a common sensation is like, Jesus Christ, why is this happening again? Why have you let yourself get into this pitiable state? Why did you stop doing all the things you needed to do to be healthy? Why, why, why? Um, but that doesn't help the situation. That that increases the toxic negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the techniques I was taught was to um, talk to yourself like you would as if a, a, a good friend had come to you. Like, you know, if a good friend had come to you with the problems you're having now or the feelings, would you be like, what the fuck is your problem, dude? Why can't you just get your shit together? Probably you'd be compassionate, probably you'd be empathetic, probably you would share your own experiences to help them out. You can do the same thing for yourself. Like, hey, you know, we've been here before. Uh, we've, we've done it before and I know it seems impossible now, but like I, I, I have gotten over, I know what feeling happy feels like and it'll, if uh, these feelings will pass, um, and I've got some effective strategies and techniques, which I hope that you either have, or you're something you can, you can, you can build a suite of, um, and just to kind of have the, the faith in that and, and this just non-judgmental forgiveness of, of, of yourself. Right. Uh, celebrate the little wins even when you know everything's terrible and you can do nothing wrong just celebrate all of the little wins in your life anything that you can use to make yourself feel better because as much as it feels like (laughs) uh, as much as it feels like being a doctor who's actually saving lives these people are feeling depression more than anyone else Mm -hmm. you just have to understand what it is that that you have value in yourself over maybe you aren't going to fix the entire world but did you do laundry today because that's Mm. something that you can celebrate today yeah 
And as far as the bonus question about how you can help others, um, this kind of goes back to our discussion about how we can be good friends, male and female. Yeah. Um, I mean, something I learned recently is that you just just listening. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to hear how you climbed out of that hole the second, first, third, fourth time. Yeah. They just want someone to hear how they're struggling to get out. Right. And if someone asks for advice, absolutely give it. But... You know, you don't have to give them the blueprints to how you found your own personal happiness because that's yeah. yours. And even if they follow the exact same paths, they have to do it for themselves. Yeah. And that's something I struggle with. Like I want to because I have a lot of experience with dealing with depression and therapy. And I, you can tell from this podcast, I like to talk about it. Um, and it's a, it's it's sometimes challenging when a friend comes to me to not just launch into that mode. Well, here's what you should do. You should do X, Y and Z and uh, it's different on his podcast because people ostensibly are coming for that. But yeah, just like, man, that really sucks. Or that seems incredibly hard. Or that must be very tough on you. Just to essentially validate the fact that they're in a bad space and they're feeling bad. Uh, because a lot of people, when they're depressed, they get to like, well, you should just go ahead and exercise. Or, oh, cheer up. You're a bright, young, handsome doctor. Why are you having that? doesn't help anything. It just mm -hmm. it makes it's essentially gaslighting a person in real time. Oh, you're telling me you feel like shit and you want to die? Well, you don't really. Come on, snap out of it. Yeah, you know what? Going out and taking a walk in the sunlight will probably help you feel better. But someone telling you it's what you have to do is not going to. It just feeds into that self-doubt. Right. And there's a reason they're not walking out in the sunshine in the first place. Right. So just, you know, being there for them, listening, and acting like you give a shit is probably the best thing you can do without getting just any kind of specifics. Even better than acting? Actually giving a shit helps, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our last one is from Bill. It's been a long time coming, but I'm starting therapy next week for the first time. I'm a part-time stay-at-home dad and I've been experiencing increasing depression-like symptoms for the last two years. And I'm finally taking steps to take better care of my mental health. Good for you. Congratulations, Bill. Uh, the whole process is brand new to me and it's been overwhelming just searching for and identifying a therapist. Mm. As I start this journey, can you please share advice on what to expect from the treatment process? Do you have tips or advice from your own experiences? I navigate all of this for the first time. For example, how do I know if the therapist is a good fit? How many appointments should I give before switching directions? Is there anything else I should be mindful of as I begin treatment? As a side note, I'd like to thank Aaron especially. I've been a Bald Move fan since the early days, and his openness about his mental health, especially coming out of a religious background, has been really inspirational to me. As silly as it may sound, I consider your outlook on life, especially your openness to question male stereotypes, has really impacted me. Gee whiz, Bill. Thanks. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, that's very thoughtful of you. Um, I don't know. I. Uh, it's funny because like Dan Harmon was talking about this on one of his. Uh, I don't know that the last years with the Harmon Towns before he quit. Uh, that he considers himself a power user of therapy. <laughs> like when he rolls into office now, it's just like I get just I just get 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 down right to it. Like here's how I'm fucked up, and here's the things that I'm feeling gross about. And whereas like you tend to like treat your first therapy kind of like your first date. You're nervous, and oh my god, what does this person want to think of me, and all that kind of stuff. So that's natural, but as I like to treat therapy like I'm going to a confessional. So so be as open and honest as you can be, because even doing that, there's likely, especially since there's this is your first time, there's so many layers of like bullshit and what therapists call maladaptive coping strategies and thought practices or thought thought patterns that it's going to take a while to kind of churn through that, even if you are 
consciously trying to be open and honest, let alone like, oh, my God, the therapist is going to just like, you know, uh, uh, just just lose their mind when they hear me say this or because it's, it's, it's not the case. My first couple of therapists when I was young in my teens, early 20s, I it took me almost two sessions, two or three sessions just to go through my background, mm-hmm. just to get everything out that I thought they would need to arm themselves to help therapize me Mm -hmm. not diagnose nothing like that just things i felt like i needed to say to be completely upfront. Mm -hmm. now all of that might not be necessary sometimes you'll go to therapy to have someone that's there every couple of weeks or a month or so that you can just talk to and keep up to date on your life Mm -hmm. and sometimes you just want to go to deal with one specific issue Mm -hmm. like you know my mom's going through this and I just really need a way to deal with my mom. And then you might not see that therapist again. I just had a therapist that I was going to for a while that I really liked because she had animals Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would like sit and cuddle with you. Mm -hmm. But I also felt like I couldn't be honest with her completely. Hmm. Like I wouldn't cuss in front of her. She seems like a religious type, but she also had this maternal aspect to her that I knew would help me deal with my own specific issues about the thing I was coming to her for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it just has to be the right fit for you. Yeah. And And you might go through a couple and that doesn't mean that you were less than. Yeah. Cause there's, there's bad therapists out there. There There's people that are inexperienced. There's people that might like, maybe they're really good at for addiction and you need something for like you know you're having a problem with like anger management so like you know it's like going to uh you've got a dodge pickup truck and you're going to a bmw guy and you know i mean they they take a stab at it but um but for the most part i think that you want to look for a therapist that seems like they're paying attention to you uh who if you're being open and honest make you feel comfortable and heard um you know, when you're really transparently sharing, uh, you want, I, I always look for someone that strikes me as like perceptive or intelligent. Cause that's important for me. Like I, uh, uh, if I, if I feel like a person is kind of a dullard or is, you know, had not very like, like a wide range of human experience, that's kind of a turnoff for me. Um, and I think it's, I don't know what other therapists would think, but I think it's fair to expect within three to five visits to have a aha moment mm-hmm. of, and yeah, I'm not saying like a, like you, you're weeping and in a fetal position and like everything's coming together, but like, Oh, this is something that seems obvious in retrospect about me and it really rings true. And it's not the solution, but it's an identification of a problem that just like rings true to me. Right. And my opinion is subject to change, but I think a lot of good therapy is just, Helping lead you to a conclusion that's already kind of there. Yeah. Like these people aren't going to tell you something you don't already know. They're just going to help you find an answer within yeah. yourself yeah. and a way to deal with it, hopefully. I mean, like I said, maybe it's a, a correct diagnosis of a problem that you haven't been able to articulate. Maybe it's a, a book that they've recommended that you read it and you're like, oh my God, this is me. This is me. Maybe it's a relaxation technique, but you should get like, that's a lot of money. If we're being honest, three to five visits is a lot of money you've exchanged. Mm-hmm. And like, I think a competent therapist should be able to have something that's useful and that that, that, that feels like it's, it's ringing true for you uh, by then. Because right, the other thing is like, we always celebrate us being unique as people, but we're really not. There's only so many... I mean, there's, there's some, some outliers out there off the bell curve, but there's only so many ways parents 
in our culture and society tend to fuck up raising children that have pretty predictable results on how they form attachments and relationships to other people and how that impacts their careers and their self-esteem and how that manifests in actions. And a lot of times it's like, you know, uh, a, a good mechanic that sees, oh, yes, this is the Dodge pickup truck rolling in. It's got the sticky clutch. Oh, this is the BMW. It's got expensive everything. I, right, I, or no know, matter what car it is, I know when a car needs an oil change when I see it. Yeah, like like they'll they they'll they'll quickly identify kind of like what your archetype is and what your what how your history fits and and that's why within three to five visits usually they can give you a good aha moment because they're probably a couple pages ahead of you. That's what I. That's that's how. Um, that's how it seemed to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't like um, a big red flag for me is if a therapist spends a lot of time bringing your experience back to their experience. Yeah, that's how I, I fired my last therapist after three visits because he seemed like he was an addiction guy. and He kept on bringing things back to his struggle with alcohol. And I'm like, I can't relate to this. And he's also very religious, which I'm not. And he was mm-hmm. like, and so it's like I I ended up uh, uh, firing him because uh, it just wasn't clicking and you know and it wasn't working. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like that, uh, again, in my somewhat limited experience, I've been to like four therapists over my life and I've been in two or three men's groups and I feel like the good ones I've clicked with pretty quickly and I've, I've felt like I was wasting time with the ones that didn't. And also don't feel any shame about ending this relation. This is a professional relationship. They have been fired many times. If, they, if they're a therapist, if they can handle breakup better than anyone. <laughs> yeah, if they can't, then boy, you you, you run, got out don't lucky. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably going to be starring in like a you know some kind of made-for-TV movie about uh, how uh, enmeshed therapists are with their clients. So yeah, it's 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 tough. I wish there was an easier way, like online dating sites, to yeah. find a therapist you can connect with. Because currently, finder. yeah, currently it's. Who's on my insurance? Yeah. Who's closest? Who's accepting new patients? Who's accepting new patients? And then... Who's got a slot on Thursday at 7.30? For me personally, <laughs> I tend to find... Uh, I tend to look for women therapists and women gynecologists. And that, I tend to... I've, I've had a really good female therapist, but I tend to click and feel more comfortable sharing with a, ma- a, a male therapist too. Yeah. And I've had male gynecologists and things like that too. It's just, it's just trial and error. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with you if you don't click with the first second or third one after the fourth one it's a problem <laughs> yeah then then you you might be one of those exotic uh, outlier types no i yeah you're 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 a ted bunny sociopath <laughs> <laughs> we're kidding we're kidding uh because i i that's man like i i need it there i fired the last guy and then i because i it took me six weeks to find him um, and that is not a lot of that. That's, that's, that's tough to invest that much time and energy when you didn't have a lot of time and energy. Um, and then it didn't work out. And then I knew we were going to get new insurance anyway. So I kind of put off, I, I need to find one cause it's tough. I mean, this, it's not as easy as it should be to get medical and, and therapeutic help in this country, as we've talked about many times, but yeah. it's worth it. And if we want to get really personal, I've been thinking lately about finding a psychiatrist I think specifically it has Mm. to be a psychiatrist to maybe diagnose me Mm. and maybe start looking into some kind of medication. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, that's the journey I'm on right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So do we have anything else to add or should we? No, that's it. Should do. I think we've, we've, uh, we've got a couple, we've had several weird tricks that we've uh, uncovered in this podcast. 
Uh, appreciate you very much for listening. Uh, thanks for everyone who asked for our advice. Hope you guys and gals found it helpful. Uh, Cecily, how would they get in touch with us if they wanted to do so? If they wanted to ask us for some advice, wanted to hear, uh, get, get a listening ear. You can email us at OWT at We also have a Patreon page, which you can check out. We have all of the social medias at Swizzbold, S-W-I-Z-Z-B-O-L-D. And that's everything I can think of. Yeah. Uh, appreciate everyone who's uh, taking the time to support us on Patreon. We've already got uh, almost 50 backers already. Holy cow. And it was really exciting. We've just been doing this for like two weeks now. Um, and we're looking forward to doing our first uh, uh, Patreon-only uh, live stream. It's going to be coming up in February. Uh, they're going to be giving people some Reddit flares that uh, we out, uh, in, our, in our Reddit group that we outlined on the Patreon page. Really excited about that. I'll be back in one week to take another three right turns with everybody. And then Cecil and I will return two weeks from now for more weird tricks on one weird trick. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Cecily. See ya. See ya.